We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel and special guest, friend of the show, Matt Brooks of Nets Daily. Guys, how are we doing? Doing great. I'm really excited to, uh, to to sit here and talk with you guys about this. These uh, these previews have been. I just I love I love previewing series. You know, you spend so much time looking at certain things and you fixate on things, and they maybe end up being really important or not important. But it's just such a good idea to get all of our minds churning and I hopefully we we come up with some ideas for each other and everybody listening as well. Matty B is back, baby. Let's do it. <laughs> Happy to have Matt back on the show. Obviously, you know, he provides some great Nets content on Twitter at Nets Daily on YouTube, all that. And also you can find the Brooklyn Buzz on all streaming platforms. But guys, I guess let's go back to the season series between the Bucks and Nets. Obviously we're doing a Bucks Nets playoff preview for round two some people calling this you know the winner of this is going to go into the nba finals but looking back 2-1 in favor of the bucks never saw the nets fully healthy in any of these matchups i think there's little bits and pieces we could probably take from each game and how teams are playing defense but at the end of the day a lot could change in the second round of the playoffs. so matt what were some of your initial takeaways from the season series between these two teams yeah, I mean, the Bucks. there's a couple of things that I like about them. They have multiple ways of winning games, uh, and I think that's the biggest difference between these two teams right now. The Nets, it kind of feels like it's largely on the big three, and I guess the only other change really is going to be if they get hot shooting as well. And yes, like, they can play defense. They, they can do it. It just doesn't consistently happen, which is why they're not a good defensive team. The Bucks can do so many different things. They can have a game where they're rebounding well. They can play strong defense and really keep the ball up top. Um, they can have a Middleton game. Giannis can go off and probably will go off in this series. Drew is going to be able to do things against this Nets team, depending on who they match up with him. So they have a lot of different ways to attack. Uh, but, I mean, when you really, really look at it, 
the Nets are in a big talent advantage, I think, from the top end of things, and that that those methods that they have attacking of of attacking the Bucks are really good and probably better than any of the attacks that the Bucks have for the Nets. Yeah, look, going back to I guess to the season series, Giannis averaged nearly forty points against the Nets in those three regular season matchups, including that forty nine point performance where him and KD were going off like it was no one else's business. But there were some things that were good, and I read an article by John Schumann, and he highlighted the fact that only just over 50% of Giannis's 92 shots came in the paint. So the Nets did a good job of making him a jump shooter, and it was like one of the only like three or four times in his career that he shot the way that he did. And in the series against Miami, he was just able to, again, dominate in the paint because he shot 5 of 26 from the field, 4 of 10 from outside the paint, and 1 of 16 from three-point range. So if the Nets can continue that trend, at least somewhat, I don't think that you're going to rely on Giannis' shooting to, to win you the game. I, I under, like what Matt's sort of saying. Bryn Forbes has been shooting the lights out in the Miami series. Chris Middleton is, is a great three-point shooter. And Drew Holiday uh, has a great propensity uh, to be able to create his own shot and shots for others. So I think that... It's a it's a simple enough game plan in stopping Giannis and, and whether that continues, we couldn't stop him even despite the fact, you know, he was he, we were able to keep him outside of the paint. It's just whether, you know, he continues his hot streak and his hot vein of form and, you know, the reigniting of the hardened Giannis rivalry, <laughs> oh man, this is gonna be fun. You know, throwing basketballs at each other's faces, MVPs <laughs> are on the line. Uh, I think there's a lot of fun wrinkles to this series, and it's why everyone's calling this, you know, the facsimile of the NBA Finals. Do you guys think that we could learn from the game plans we saw in the season series, or you expect different wrinkles from both coaches, given that it's the playoffs and maybe, you know, they were hiding something up their sleeve? Like, I kind of felt like maybe Steve Nash was doing that in a little bit of the, the two-game series, and obviously he has a big card up his sleeve and James Harden not playing those games, but what do you think would be something that we saw that we could see repeated in the series, and what would be something that maybe is brand new schematically? I just think the Nets are such a different team with Harden, and, and yep. part of that is just the general sense of toughness that they seem to have. Like if you want to go like on a more narrative-based thing, on a more analytical, more focused side of things, they're going to be headhunting, targeting a little yep. bit more. So you're going to see them, you're going to hopefully see them try to to, to draw uh, Brooke Lopez out of the paint and, and try to pressure that. Because if they can, if they can get rid of some of the stuff that Brooke is doing out there, that's a big, big game changer. Uh, Bryn Forbes is another guy. You wonder if they're going to target against him. You wonder if they're going to target against uh, Pat Connaughton. And, like, the thing about that, and Steve Nash, because he just made the point, or I think oh, it was Blake Griffin who made the point. One of the two made a good one. I don't remember which one it was. <laughs> Maybe they both made it. So many uh, guys. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just that basically it wasn't a great series for Blake because of how much they were targeting and how much isolation they were running. And I hadn't really thought about it like that. You know, you watch them play sometimes. It's like, wow, there's so much isolation going on. But that's actually by design at some mm -hmm. points and, and, and in the Boston series at many points because it felt like they only had weak links out there. So that's going to be an interesting thing and just something they didn't do in in that regular season series. So I think you watch the defensive things and you can look at that and say, okay, for Brooklyn side of things, yeah, I think there's some things that they, they can do that are probably going to translate. Offensively, I just think they're going to be completely different. Yeah. Yeah, and looking at from I guess the Bucks side of things, 
in that first game, which I think is probably the best sort of, you know, reminiscent you know, form that we could probably take from because it was harder than KD um, and Kyrie obviously being the third best player out of the trio. But yeah, the Nets were never healthy this season. We did see, you know, obviously DJ do his thing. But in the later games, and including the Miami series, Giannis was utilized way more as a screener and as a roller in those sort of actions. So him actually being dangerous off the roll, being dangerous and attacking and giving DHOs to whatever shooter is out there, I think makes it a lot easier because he was sort of allowing DJ to be effective. And, you know, we'll probably get to that when we get to some matchups and talk about, you know, the rotation when it comes to DeAndre Jordan, probably one of the big questions of the series. But I think that the way the way Giannis played in that first game, you can probably scrap it and throw it to the side. We don't know anything, which is probably what we could say about most teams this season because there was just a lack of health, a lack of continuity across the board. And a part of it is frustrating, but a part of it is super-duper intriguing and makes it really, really exciting. Yeah, and obviously the intensity is substantially different from regular season to postseason, like you said, and every possession is kind of carrying more value. But I like the point you brought up, Matt, about James Harden and kind of just the leadership he's provided for this team. And like you said, kind of provides some of that toughness, almost a stability. You know what I mean? Like, just all right, everything's cool. I'm going to go get a bucket. We're going to end this run right here. And also, I just like what he can provide from a physical standpoint, just being a strong player. Like he's yeah. physically stronger than a lot of the other nets on this team. And against a team like the Bucks, that's really what you need. But moving on from the season series, what would you say is, you know, the biggest strengths the Nets have in the series going against the Bucks? Like what would be some things that really pop off? Obviously there's Matt, you know, please I, I, I don't I don't what it what it, what could it be, Mr. Brooks? Please tell me. <laughs> well uh there's only one Drew Holiday. That's my answer right now. There's only one. They cannot clone him. They cannot. Uh, I don't. I don't even know what other medical mysteries or medical miracles you could do here. Yeah, there's only one Drew Holiday. So that means I think it's gonna be whoever they put him on of of Brooklyn's backcourt. The other guy is gonna go off. And by the way, even if you put him on, let's say they put him on Harden, it's not like Harden's gonna get shut down. He'll make it tougher for him. And I think that's probably what you're looking at but it's just there's just so much firepower and like i i it it feels like <laughs> it's funny i i spin my wheels and try to sit and think through every little thing and i just am like there's a part of me that just wonders and i'm like is it just the lowest common denominator argument with the nets like is it just too much firepower to really contain and i and i think that that's why I like making predictions for this series which i know we're gonna get into in a minute um is so hard because i just we've never seen a team like them we really haven't like there have been other big threes that are you know great 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 trios but having three all-time scores like this on the same team is so hard to evaluate because i just don't think there's a reference point to go off of so that's that's the strength they are yeah. completely unique as a team yeah, look, their offensive efficiency in the last series, 128 points per 100 Same. possessions. Most efficient for any team since play-by-play -play data has been available in 25 years. And that's 362 total series. Incredible. 63.8 true shooting percentage. That, I think also they did a good job, and a lot of this goes to James Harden, those turnovers were really limited. You know, they only had 11.8 turnover percentage. And it was sort of like, you know, a regular season thing where they got out all the kinks and James Hans is like, you know what, now I'm going to do my thing, really lead this sort of um, team. And, and look, the three-point shooting, incredible, 42.6%. The free throw shooting, I, I put it out there on Twitter. I was, I'm a big fan of free throws. They missed 12 
in total for the entire series, 125 of 137. So they're like a 50, 40, 90 series. Like that's <laughs> freaking insane. And they also, despite their defensive rebounding percentage when we get to the weaknesses, their offensive rebounding percentage was fourth out of all teams that are currently in the playoffs behind Boston, Milwaukee, uh, and Denver. So, and, and in terms of the defensive side, had to find something. But Kevin Durant's averaged 2.2 blocks per game. Yep. He is playing amazing defense. And ever since Tony Jones put out that tweet of The Athletic, uh, he sort of, maybe one of his burners saw it because Katie <laughs> is on one defensively. And I think that, you know, he's going to have a, a lot of trouble probably in this series, you know, guarding the likes of when, if he gets isolated onto Giannis, who is as strong as any man in this world, let alone basketballer. But I think his weak side help has been incredible. His isolation help, um, his isolation defense on, on Jason Tatum was amazing as well. So uh, he's so important for the Nets in, in so many different ways. But to see him put up those numbers, you know, after coming off the, the journey that he's had uh, coming off his injury, uh, it's pretty goddamn insane maybe even probably the you always when we were talking about it in preseason with matt and nolan and stuff it's just like oh, the, what the one thing i'm going to be looking for is katie going to be able to get it back defensively we know he's going to have the yep. shot he's kevin durant for god's sakes but he's averaging 2.2 blocks a game against the boston celtics which is i thought it was pretty amazing yeah, no, really impressive stuff from KD defensively in that series, and that gives you some hope. I think I really like the way James Harden played in that series. You guys pretty much nailed the strengths of, obviously, the biggest thing is the talent. You know what I mean? Like Matt said, three all-time scorers, and we've never really seen anything like this. And the fact that they haven't been selfish. You know, there's been a lot of talk when the trade first happened, one ball and all that. But these guys are passing the ball. They're, you know, setting guys up. You just Kevin Durant passing up open threes for Joe Harris. It's just kind of the type of thing you want to see. And then also, I think there's another point where you can make a uh, like the Nets have more players that have had postseason success where Giannis and the Bucks haven't been able to get over that hurdle. You know, you look at Kyrie's won a championship. KD's won multiple championships. James Harden's been to the Western Conference Finals, pushed that Golden State team. So is P.J. Break. Tucker, though, Nick. P.J. Tucker, yeah, big player. No, um, he, he could play a big role in this series, but I don't think it's going to be as big as James Harden and Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. But any other strengths you guys are seeing for the Nets? Obviously, I think their guards are substantially better than Milwaukee's, I guess, when you're looking in the depth of it. But... Anything else pop up where you're like, oh, that's that's a big dub for the Nets in the series? I wish, again, I wish it wasn't the lowest common denominator, but it really is. Like, it's just the talent. And I just, I don't know. It's We'll know really quickly, like, whether we've, yep. like, overlooked, like, the, the firepower. Or if it is just, like, numbers and noise to a degree. Like, if this was, you know, because you, you have to wonder, like, is the continuity ever going to affect anything? Or is it going to? Yeah. Matt, do the Nets have an advantage in coaching? <laughs> this is uh, an interesting conversation. I've heard a lot of people talk about it from both angles. Yeah. I think Bud's been really good. Oh, so do I. So do I. I think I, Bud's I think been really good. good. Yeah. I think they've done all of the right things and made all of the right adjustments so far. And, you know, they've attacked the weak points for for Miami. They stayed strong in their principles, uh, you know, like in terms of, that first game, you see all these dribble handoffs that Duncan Robinson's coming off of, and it's like, oh, can't play Brooke Lopez. And then Brooke Lopez is like the like one of their most yeah. important players. It's like, oh, okay, well, that's cool. Like, you guys called your shot on that. So, um, yeah, I, I I, just, I think Bud's been really, really good in the playoffs, and I haven't had any complaints. And um, Steve, I think, has been good. I think he's been good. I don't... It's, it's again. It's really hard because this team is so new that 
I think they're just simplifying things. Like he even said it, we're not going to run the Princeton offense. It's like, that makes sense. And I don't, I don't think they want to overload things either. Like, so I, you know, and, and I know um, I've had a couple of conversations with people about like, oh, should they like try his own or try other things? And I'm just like, I don't, like they never really got to play together enough where they even mastered the switching. So yeah. trying to throw something else new in there just doesn't seem like a good idea. So it's a different thing. They're coaching different groups. I would probably give the advantage to Bud just because he's been there. And I think that he's going to trust his gut a little bit more. And I don't know. I just, I don't know what it's going to look like for Steve when, you know, their backs are against the wall. Cause I think there will be a point where that happens. Yeah. I think it's a great point, Matt. Uh, Coach Bud did a nice job. Even just the adjustment of putting Giannis on Jimmy Butler in parts of that series against Miami. He refused to do that last year. Butler had an absolutely terrible series. A lot of he's that was playing shooting. them. He's actually playing his good players. Yeah, yes. he's actually yes. playing them big minutes. I mean, maybe give some credit to the front office. They kind of cut his depth, so he wasn't yeah. able to do that. So, um, but like you said, you know, I thought Bud did a nice job. You know, the Nets. I think Steve Nash will probably have to maybe lean on his coaching staff a little bit more in this one, just given they have a little bit more experience in this situation. And I think the Nets maybe have more options in terms of rotation. But like Matt mentioned, they probably have less options in terms of schematics and game plan because really we saw them switch and run drop coverage this year. And majority of yep. it was switching. Like they ran zone, what, maybe like 20 possessions the entire season. And sucked. <laughs> they were they were dead last in zone efficiency. Again, very yeah. like zone samples are super small, but like they were like it matched the eye tests. Every time they did it, I was like, yeah, don't do that again. Yeah, and it, <laughs> Please, it, looked, no. it looked really bad too, is because like you could tell they didn't practice it. You know, the communication no, yeah. was so off. So it's just like you said, like that's definitely going to be something that plays a role in this this series. But Jack, what are you thinking on the front? Uh, yeah, look, I, I agree with Matt. I sort of said, you know, we, we gave our sort of ranking out of 10 on the last episode, or we gave it a letter grade. I don't even remember. Uh, but in all honesty, I think Steve Nash has shown a good propensity to be a somewhat proactive, you know, actually go, okay, this is the rotation we need to have, Bruce Brown at the five, all these little wrinkles here and there. But yeah, like the X's and O's, you know, he is a, a great offensive mind and, you know, has just great trust in his players to just go, you guys do your thing. And I think KD actually said the other day to, to Matt and the crew about the fact that, you know, he's just, he allows us to have our voice. And I think that that's what KD, Kyrie, James Harden want to have. And I think a lot of the time it sort of gets clouded. Oh, the, the coach doesn't have like the room, you know, the, the, the it's the players empowerment bullshit. And it's just like, these are three of the smartest basketball minds we've ever seen. Yeah. Let them actually have their input. And I think that that's a better thing that I think people are probably going to realize. And it's just like, we need to see, you know, the Red Owl back, with the Phil Jackson, all these like authoritarian bullshit. And it's like, it's 2021 and you have like three of the greatest, smartest yeah. basketball, effective basketball players ever. And defensively even, like, you know, James Harden was one of the only guys in the series, you know, for certain players that were like, threw an extra body at Jason Tatum every now and then. And like, you know, we, we saw during the regular season where he made the, you know, he fouled, when they were, you know, up three. So I think that these little things, Steve Nash should be able to go, guys, let's blitz Giannis a little bit here, make him make decisions uh, when there's two bodies on him. I think that that's something that I want to see more from him, being able to go, guys, these are some things we can do. I'll give you the tools to succeed. And, you know, and I've sort of, we've sort of said that, you know, in, in terms of like the rotation, in terms of the, the lineups, in terms of what five are out there. And the majority of the time he has done that well. But I think defensively, you know, obviously, you know, mastering the switching, it still hasn't necessarily happened. I think that's more on the players, to be honest, because I think you can't necessarily go, or yell out like a switch. You can yell out an ice to we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform 
with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Your, your, your throat is sore like your Tom Thibodeau, but I think that there's little things here and there where, where Steve Nash can go, let's throw another body at Giannis. Let's, let's you know, throw a couple down. I think they did that a better job of that in like the fourth quarter where they're collapsing. And when Bruce Brown was out there, there was just seemed to be more activity, it seemed yep. to me anyway. More defensive support from everyone on the floor, like playing defense like a team. And it feels like sometimes Steve Nash kind of just is like, you know, I'm going to let the players kind of dictate the game, yeah. which which sometimes isn't the worst decision, because like you said, you know, you have KD, you have James Harden, you have Kyrie, you have all these smart players. It's just kind of finding that fine line and knowing when you need to step in as a coach. And obviously, when you're inexperienced, that's going to be something that pops up. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends whose four way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. But I guess moving on from the weaknesses, guys, um, what are some key matchups you're looking for in this series? <sighs> so many. Yeah, this is a oh matchup series. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know what? I'll, I'll pick one that's kind of off the beaten path. I really, I think of anything I'm watching right now, you could pick, well, Giannis on KD. I actually think I'm watching Durant on Middleton. Mm. I, for some reason, I'm just really intrigued to see what Durant's length does to affect that. Because I felt every time that and he, he held, I think, Tatum to 37% shooting in the first round series. And I just think, like, if you can take that away, that's such a... He just hits big shots. Like, he's yeah. their big shot guy. And I think if you take that away from them, or... and I And, and by the way, like... Middleton's improved in a lot of ways. He can get to the rim. He can post up. He's got a little bit of everything. I really think KD can do a, a good job on him. And that, and that for the Nets, I think that's their biggest advantage out of anybody that they have guarding anybody is, is that they have KD on Middleton. And I just, that's the one I'm looking at. Like, it's going to stick out to me right away. And um, I think that's a big pressure point. Yeah, I really like that. I don't think many people I've listened to when they've been talking about this series have sort of talked about the Nets gaining an advantage defensively by going, you know what, Giannis, you get your own, but we're going to stop everyone else on the outside in terms of Middleton, in terms of the, the probably the best shot creator for himself, three-level scorer, as sort of Matt was alluding to there. I, look, who is going to guard Giannis? I have no idea, but we did hear you know, today you know, when they were talking to Matt and the crew that they're going to throw different bodies at him. And I think that's the yeah. best way to do it. You know, I think that you know it's going to be defense by committee. 
You know, are they going to build some level of a wall downstairs, you know, d- down low in terms of like downstairs. not allowing you to get <laughs> whatever? Like, it's it's eight twenty-five a.m. for me. All right, lads, the sun might be shining for you guys, but it's barely up here. Um, but yeah, in all honesty, you, we, I sort of alluded to earlier, and Matt sort of touched on it too. The Nets have done a good job of keeping him out of the paint where he wants to be and, and making him a shooter. And you know, he's he's going to have nights where he might hit three or four from three and hit a couple of mid ranges here or there. But if you, if that's what you're getting out of Giannis, so be it. You you live with that. So. And I think that Matt touched on it too. Can Lopez stay on the floor? You know, whose big is going to be the one that gets targeted? You know, is Lopez going to be allowed to play his you know, individual drop? Is Blake going to get targeted till the till the cows come home? But which team is going to execute better at switching? Because the Bucks executed pretty well against Miami, but in the regular season they didn't really have the the greatest time with it. You know, there was lapses here and there. The Nets again in the series against Boston did a decent enough job at it but gave away a lot of soft switches, which was frustrating. Yeah. It's just like, dude, you don't you just fight through the screen a little bit there, KD. I know your arms are like skinnier than mine, but come on, man. Like you don't have to give it up to Kai or, or, or Blake in that one. You know, the backcourt, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take them all, Nick and, and Matt. Sorry, I'm already but... waiting to just get back to Matt's point on KD and Milton. <laughs> so you do whatever you want, Jack. It's going to be insane. Drew Holiday, Kevin Durant has mentioned this. We all know he's one of the best individual isolation defenders in the league. And on the perimeter, he's going to have his hands full, whether it's against Harden, whether it's against Kyrie, whether it's a combination of the two, whether they lock him in onto one of them. I heard one person say that they go, just go to Kyrie. You know, we know what James Harden is going to find his own, but Kyrie loves to play isolation when he's creating his own sort of offense. And if you can stop that, there's one weapon gone for you. That's one way of looking at it, but I, I think James Harden's a more important player, and I would rather nullify his value to the team. And then can they target Connaughton? You know, if, if Connaughton's going to be that you know next person out there, or it's Bryn Forbes, obviously, with the bench and coming off the bench. And, you know, I hope we see some possessions on Harden versus Giannis. I think that's going to be a lot of fun, too. Yeah, I mean, Jack, you pretty much touched on every single matchup of the series. But getting back to Matt's point on Chris Middleton and Kevin Durant, I thought that was a really good point, especially because of the way KD's play defense. And it seems like Middleton is extremely successful when he can shoot over players. And yep. obviously, Kevin Durant is a guy that you can't shoot over. I'm intrigued by what Milwaukee's going to do to get Kevin Durant off Middleton. You know, Jack kind of hinted at yeah, the screen. I the think dribble. they should run pick and roll to death. I'm sorry to cut you off, but yeah. I really do. Like, if two things get advantage of that, you run the the, the Chris Middleton and Giannis pick and roll. A, it gets KD off. Bring it. It brings up B. It brings Blake into the fold most likely. Yeah. yeah, and then you, we even saw, and I think it was in the first or the, uh, the maybe the second or the third game on that pick and roll. It's hard for KD to recover, even coming off the Achilles. Like Giannis is just a freak, and he's getting up yeah. for those oops. So now it's just kind of a different element. It's going to be, in, and this is where you really miss Jeff Green because I think in that switching situation you feel a lot better. You know, Jeff Green on Chris Middleton. That's cool. Like, that's something we can live with. But now if you have Blake Griffin, that's when things get really interesting. Then it's like, okay, do we have to go to Clax here? Can Clax deal with Giannis? Now we're getting into a whole bunch of different elements. So like you said, limiting Chris Middleton is going to be huge. That guy's hit some huge shots. He's also had some terrible playoff series. So I feel like he's a guy that can definitely dictate a couple games. You know what I mean? I think against Toronto in 2018 or was it 2019, whatever it was, like he had a no-show. And a lot of that was Mm -hmm. due to like Kawhi Leonard and stuff like that. So I'm intrigued by Middleton and what he can do. Getting back to what you were saying, Jack, on Giannis, like what do you guys expect you to start on Giannis? Who's going to be the starter? Yeah, go ahead, Jack. I guess on the sort of Jeff Green point, and it relates to the Giannis discussion, Matt, I probably know the answer to this already, but there are so many quotes in your timeline I can't keep up. Me too. Me too. (laughs) 
But in terms of just the Jeff Green availability, we did see, you know, he, he wasn't wearing the boot. Um, you know, Alizé Johnson, he was sitting next to Alizé Johnson on the bench. Looked to have a, a level of comfort that we probably didn't see, you know, early on. Obviously, the plantar fascia is a, a manageable enough injury. What do you think? I know you, we didn't get anything from Steve and, and the rest of the squad. What do you think? Have we seen in game one? Is it game two? Is it game three? Are we going to see him at all in the in the second series? I think you'll see him. I just don't know like what level of Jeff Green you're going to get. Like just everything I've heard from that injury is like, um, you know, and I think Goran Dragic had that last year. I know yep. people have mentioned Joe Johnson. Um, it's a tricky injury, and for him, with the responsibility that he's shouldered. A, he's like their best. I think he's their best roller right now. I think if you, if you're looking at, I mean, it's either him or Bruce Brown. It's I don't think it's Clax, and uh, yeah. it's not been Blake as it turns out. So that that <laughs> was a regular season thing, I guess. So um, yeah, I mean, I, right now you're not going to get that. And then the, if he's you know hampered at all defensively, that sucks a little bit because he's a they're somebody that can sort of. Uh, body up with guys, but B, he's he's movable. He can get around the court. Um, and for the most part, unless it's like a really quick guard, he can stay in front of guys. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I think there's a chance he comes back game two or three, but I just, I'm not, I'm sort of thinking that he's not going to be the Jeff Green that we've seen this year. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised at that. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Jeff Green look really good in like a game three and then in game four, he looked bad. And then it kind mm. of just goes back and forth because like you mentioned, it's kind of a weird injury, you know, watching a lot of Joe Johnson, it felt like at times he was fine. And then the mm. next game, the poor guy couldn't barely walk. And obviously mm. defending Giannis is one of the biggest tasks in the league. And it's a lot of physicality in the playoffs, even just battling for, you know, Brooke Lopez or PJ Tucker is going to put some wear and tear on you. And I agree about the roller point because Jeff Green's the only guy that like, attacks the rim with authority so if you give him those one two steps in the paint like he's going to go up physically where bruce brown's just not big enough blake griffin yeah. doesn't have the athleticism clax just doesn't really understand the game to that <laughs> fullest level yet you know just very raw <laughs> yeah that's a good way to put it <laughs> <laughs> no disrespect to clax he's one of my favorites but uh just, yeah um and go, getting back to the matchups like if it was you matt what would you do with your holiday would you put him on Kyrie? would you put on james harden would you go 50 50 i've heard different perspectives jack kind of brought some of it up one of the main theories i heard was like you keep drew off james harden because you don't want him to get in foul trouble oh that's a good point Man, that's a really good point. I was gonna. It was just Nate say, Duncan who said that, I believe. So that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, I um, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, maybe the idea is you put him on Kyrie because Drew's gonna screen a bunch. Yeah, uh, and, you know, and look, look, I, he's gonna get screened a bunch, and look, like Drew can get around screens better than just about like anybody in the league. Like he is a ridiculous screen navigator, but still, you're running the risk, and Harden is so good at at pick and roll. Yep. I mean, just so good. So. Maybe the idea is I've thought about like maybe you put Middleton on Harden and you put Drew on Kyrie and just try to take that like because Kyrie just he's just that energizer. He's that guy yeah. like when he gets a rhythm going, there's kind of nothing you can do. So if you're taking that away from Brooklyn's offense or trying to at least push it off and just minimize it to the best that you can, um, I wonder if that's a big thing. He's like their I would describe him as like a mid inning reliever. Like yeah. he'll just come in in that second quarter when, you know, it's like whatever the bench bench players are coming in. It's the that early stretch in the second quarter, and he'll just he'll hit a pull up three like w over a trap where you're like, how on earth did he just <laughs> like that's not at all the shot you're supposed to take, and he just took that and it went in. And it's just like 
if you can sort of get him out of his comfort zone early, and then you're kind of just saying, okay, look, we're going to just do what we can. They have a lot of guys to throw at KD. And it doesn't matter about trying to, I mean, it matters to try to stop him. Obviously you're not going to stop him. What you can do is tire him out. And I think that that's what they did a good job of in the regular season is that by the end of those fourth quarters, Katie was kind of settling. Like it wasn't like it wasn't anything big. And again, it's a different game with Harden back, but it was something that just stuck out to me. You know, you have PJ Tucker Tucker made him work a lot. It looked it looks like hell. Honestly, it looks like it's absolute literally hell. personal for PJ Tucker because of the whole Texas thing. And I actually saw a tweet the other day where like someone saw PJ Tucker come into their like shoe store or something, and that he was sort of like, you know, oh, he's like, oh, you guys bodied the he's like, yeah, we're gonna body the Nets as well. I'm like, that sounds so much like PJ Tucker. It sounds like exactly what he would say. I'm honestly yeah. really intrigued by the way they officiate PJ Tucker on Kevin Durant. I thought they let him kind of get close to that line oh, yeah. in a lot of those games. And like, that could be the difference. We saw the Nets get, you know, Celtics in a lot of foul trouble and, you know, obviously Milwaukee's substantially more talented, but that's another factor in the series. And I hate to talk about the refs and stuff like that, but the physicality they allow against the Nets offensive players, I think is going to be huge because yep. we know the defenders that Milwaukee has and how they like to play, especially Tucker and Giannis. Yeah, no, and it's just, I think that's going to be really fascinating. And I think if you have that and then you put, I think, I like the idea. You guys have already talked me into Drew on Kyrie because I came into this with um, with with the idea of putting him on Harden. But the foul idea is really interesting. So, yeah, I, I think that's what I would stick with. Um, and and that's that's kind of, that's kind of, it makes a little more sense when you explain it that way. If you can just take away that spark, I mean, it's it's I don't it feels weird to call Kyrie like a microwave scorer because he's like yeah. obviously like he's like the best version of that like the best yeah. hum like the best version of that I don't know if it gets better than that but kind of that's what he is like he comes yeah. in there and just during those lulls those points when you need him to cut, just need a bucket and you need something to get your team energized like he does that he does that a lot actually so. Um, he has those buckets that kind of just deplete the other team's morale. Like you saw that happen against Boston. Obviously, there's a little bit personal there. But like he hit some of those threes. He was hyped. The whole team was hyped. And you kind of knew the game was over at that point. And it was just like, all right. It's kind of almost like, obviously, they're completely different players. Skill sets, completely different. But almost like the Clay Thompson effect for Mm -hmm. the Warriors back in the day. When Clay got hot and started hitting those shots, you knew the game was going to be over because you weren't stopping Steph and KD. And that's kind of a similar situation here. You're not stopping Harden and KD. If Kyrie can get going, that's going to be a problem. And the crazy thing is, like, as good as Drew Holiday is, he's one of the best defenders. We've seen him, you know, beat Drew Holiday one-on-one before. So if he can get hot on Drew, I don't even know what the Bucs do. But I'm also intrigued by... The net centers versus the Bucks. Nick, can like, I just jump on yeah, board yeah. before we go, get to the centers? Kyrie, I like the Kyrie and Clay comparison purely because both of those guys are like a, a heart and soul of their team. You know, KD is the Alpha Omega. James Harden is the inevitable. But Kyrie Irving just has something. He's like the soul of, of, of the Brooklyn Nets franchise right now. And when his buckets happen, you know, Barclays goes off. You know, the, the highlights uh, are getting a million retweets. House of Highlights is getting millions of it. It's the same thing when it happens to Clay when he has those big court, when he had those big courts yeah. and stuff. So I think that that's an important thing. And one thing I'm, I'm intrigued to see is because Damian Lillard has gotten Drew before. And I'm wondering if it, in, in, in a series where it was just like, this is, or sorry, it was sort of the opposite. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, Drew Holiday is an inevitable defensive force, but 
good offense always beats good defense. Yes. And Kyrie Irving is the best version of that. The best bad shot maker we've probably seen maybe ever. Kevin Durant's probably in that, uh, you know, um, in that wheelhouse as well. But um, it's going to be the matchups. Uh, I don't see it like Drew getting every single possession on Kyrie because it's you're not going to get that. You'll get switches, yeah. you get screens, and um, there's going to be a level of, of team defense from both teams. I think the Nets will probably rely on their team defense a little bit more than the Bucks will, um, even though because I think the Bucks have a little bit more defensively up their sleeve. It's pretty plain to see. They've been one of the better defensive teams of the past three or four years under Bud. So, but yeah, the, the centers is, is going to be fascinating, Nick. Absolutely fascinating as well. I don't know if you guys have uh, if, are planning to talk about from a Bucks attacking the Nets side, but I think one of the things about having Drew matched up with, let's say they match up with Kyrie, I'm also going to figure out on the other side of the floor because the Nets are, are switching so much. I'm posting Drew up against Kyrie. Yep. Like yeah, that's going to be part of the built-in. It's 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 part of the built-in package of that. Kyrie gets his post-ups, man. He gets his post-ups. <laughs> just the wrong side. <laughs> I, I just yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean it's uh. So I, that's what I would do, I, honestly, because I thought that was a, another thing that stuck out. Again, you can't take a ton from those games, especially on the net side of things, on the offensive side, because the process is just so much different. But on the other side, that's one of those things where I was like, hmm, interesting. That's that's something I think I would go to quite a bit. Yeah, and it worked. It worked a lot. Yes. You know, Drew is just physically stronger than Kyrie. There's not really much he can do in that situation. And occasionally you'll see Kyrie okay in the post because his hands are so good and he'll poke the ball out. But Drew's a guard. He can yeah. handle the basketball. So like you said, Matt, and even the Bucks felt like that was something they wanted to do because they'd clear out the entire side and let Drew get his post up. And the Nets' help just wasn't there. And there's was a couple times even just seeing highlights where it's like, okay, guys, just like rotate right there, Blake. Like, yeah. You know it's <laughs> going to be a problem. So I'm intrigued to see if the Nets adjust to that or they're just like, okay, we're going to eat it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point, like about emptying it out. And like, honestly, like if I'm if I'm Milwaukee, I'm I'm trying to get a bunch of empty side stuff. I'm running yep. empty side, you know, a handoff or a pick and roll. If you have, I mean, you, you imagine you get Kyrie and Blake in the mix, like yeah, it's pretty good. And and then from there, it's just it's going to kind of work like that. I, I'm assuming like that, um, like that Miami series where it forces help, and then they're doing that that swing swing action because they were crisp at least. In the first couple of games, like the ones I was watching, uh, that that like the ball movement was really crisp from them. So yeah, that that'll be that'll be a big thing is just trying to attack those weaknesses for the Nets. Yeah, I think, one, I-, I think one thing other than Blake, I think Kai can be hit and miss, and there's times where he can hit because he has a level of activity and and peskiness and feistiness where it's just like. Okay, Kai, you've shown us this. And there have been times this season where he's sort of been out there with the team alone as well. And he's transition defense. He's getting back hard and, and getting into passing lanes or whatever. I think that he showed, I don't know, a level of inconsistency in this series against Boston. And, uh, and you could sort of see there was probably frustration from KD to James Harden sometimes and to Kai sometimes because, you know, he's obviously the best defensive player that we have on the team. Yep. So I think that it's, it's going to be, there aren't many weaknesses to exploit on the Milwaukee defensive side. And like you you and, and, and Matt mentioned, Nick, you know, you, there's there's a, certainly a couple, but can, can Blake hold up? I'm not necessarily totally comfortable with that. <laughs> but I think Kai can make things tough enough. I think he can show a level of just like, you know what? I'm not going to let you guys attack me. I'm going to take this personally. I'm going to get like, you know, he got a couple of steals on Jason Tatum as well. Yeah. At least like, made his, his handle a little bit less crispy. 
So I think that's something Kai can do at the very least. And maybe this is me being the rosy optimist of what the best version of Kyrie Irving is. And he's Usually still going to <laughs> Yeah. But look, he's going to get attacked relentlessly. It's just going to be whether, you know, we see the version of Kyrie Irving where he wants to take Giannis like he did two years ago in Boston. Or yeah. if he stays fundamentally sound and the communication, the switching and all those little things are there and the weak side help from KD is there. Uh, and hopefully Clack is out there for, for greater stretches. But yeah, it's... It's going to be, there's so many little wrinkles to this series and the matchups and the rotation, I guess, is it sort of uh, goes in the smooth, segues in nicely to, to that discussion. Yeah, let's start with the rotation. What is your starting lineup for game one? I'm rolling out with what they had. Um, I I don't think there's a need to, <laughs> there's a need to bring DeAndre Jordan into the fold unless you have to. And uh, Claxton is, is, I like the flashes. I think if they left anything on the table in that last series, I would have probably played Clax a little more. Yep. I think if there's anything, like if I can criticize the coaching staff for anything, it's that they didn't give him minutes. And then even in like fourth quarters and it was like a 20 point blowout, they would like yank him at the what seven, yep. eight minute mark. And I'm just kind of like, why? Like what's, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I get that they want to play their guys and try to give their core lineups as many possessions or yeah yeah, I guess possessions and reps together as possible but I don't know it felt like kind of something you'd want to do I think he adds an element that nobody else other than KD um really brings so yeah I think I would stick with that starting lineup it sort of seems like they're locked into that I mean the biggest change they can make right now is switch Bruce for Joe I would not do that because Blake isn't shooting threes (laughs) yeah and just getting back to your point on Clax, Matt, you sound exactly like me. At the end of the regular season, I said that one of the most important things going to the Boston series was to play Clax in as many minutes as possible yep. so he can get those reps, develop, and then you can utilize him more in the following rounds because, like you said, he has a defensive skill set that really no one else on the Nets has. Like Kevin Durant obviously is a better defender than him at this point, but even Clax has more athleticism to him, more pop to his game, and it's just like – yo, you guys are going to need that against better yeah. teams. Like the yeah. Celtics, you might not need that, but the Bucks, the Sixers, whoever you're going to face, you're going to need Claxton. So I thought that was kind of an L for the coaching staff. Like you said, yo, let the kid run a little bit. Like he wasn't it, playing that bad, especially towards the end of the series. I thought he improved. And yeah. it wasn't like putting Blake out there was helping with Blake's <laughs> confidence. Like, it was, yeah, yeah. Like, like Blake was just like defeated by the end of that series. And you're almost like, you, I mean, he's a vet, so, like, he's going to be able to just compartmentalize it and just be like, whatever is bad series. But, um, yeah, no, I, I I, I, don't think it helped with Blake or anything. Yeah. It's like, hey, Blake, you want to guard Jason Tatum one-on-one, uh, you know, 15 possessions a game? We know you're a little washed, but, you know, good luck. Yeah. I, I, I think one thing I was intrigued about is that, like, you know, Bruce was our, our closing five, four-five front court member alongside KD. Matt, is that going to work against the Milwaukee Bucks? Because I don't think it does. Because Bruce, as big as his shoulders are, they're not six foot seven. Yeah, I mean, what's the upside? That's that's my thing. So yeah. great, you you run him. You know, he's gonna. Isn't that like the perfect Brook Lopez? Like the guy that Brook Lopez is great. Oh, this guy's gonna come in and try to do a little turnaround floater. Like yeah. this is this is just money for me. Um, and it's not like Bruce is tossing that thing from like, you know, the free throw line or whatever. Like, it's like, he's right near the basket and it just, I'm surprised they went to it as much as they did. Um, it was, I don't think it's a lineup that I would feel particularly comfortable with. And like, let's say it works. Let's say they somehow play 
Westbrook off the floor. Well, then they go Giannis at the five, but I feel like that lineup's just as good. And yeah. it's like, oh, okay, well, this sucks too. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't see the upside of it at that much. I just, I mean, and maybe that's just the big problem is the no matter what you're playing, I'm not in love with it. But I actually feel, I can't believe I'm saying it. After everything, you know, that I was, I was, you know, tweeting and being like, man, this is just not a good Blake series. I feel good about him in this series. I don't know why. I do, though. I, I can't help it. Uh, so that's what I would go with right now is go with a little bit of that size and optionality on on, on defense, really. But on offense, too, um, I just think he, he offers a little bit more. What do you think of Jack? Yeah, look, I think Bruce can be more effective. He showed his effectiveness against Boston because they had no rim protection because Rob Williams obviously got injured very early, whereas Brook Lopez is one of the best rim protectors in the league. So I think you would align his minutes with James Harden in the second unit, and I think that that makes a lot more sense because, what, Bobby Portis and, and, look, Giannis, if he's playing the five and he wants to sort of play, actually play the five, I don't necessarily have that confidence. I think that there'll be times where he will, but it's sort of like an yeah. AD sort of thing. It's just like, give me Andre Drummond out there. I want Brooke Lopez out there next to me. And he, he or always PJ. Wants... I think yeah. it would be PJ. That would or probably PJ. be what it is. So, yeah. you know, but anyway, sorry to cut you off. No, yeah, but de- de- definitely. And I think Giannis loves playing like so that sort of help role uh, a lot more. That's how he won the Defensive Player of the Year. That's why he's been a Defensive Player of the Year candidate for you know, the past four seasons or so. So I'm, I don't think it, it, it works out well, but I think you can get advantages at different points in time. I think Steve Nash hopefully has that awareness rather than sort of going to, okay, this is what we do well. I know what we do well. I don't care what the other team does, where it's just like, yeah, that works against Boston and that works in the regular season against Scrubs and you know the bottom 15 team, but it's not going to work against a team that's you know on the verge of a championship status. Yeah, I think the real question with Bruce is like, does he do enough offensively that you need his defense on yeah. the floor? And how much is his defense truly having an impact in the series, given that he's a little undersized? Like, you don't necessarily need to lock up Drew Holiday. Obviously, you want to slow him down at different points. But your main components that you're worried about are Giannis and Chris Middleton. And Bruce is not going to defend Giannis. He's He could maybe defend Middleton. But I, like I mentioned before, you know, Middleton likes to shoot over guys. That's a guy he yeah. can shoot over. So, And I feel like on the offensive end, they're such a great defense. They have so much length. It just gives them kind of another option for them, a guy that they don't necessarily have to worry about. And Joe Harris just provides so much more spacing. You know what I mean? And that's kind of what I'm looking at. And I agree with you, Matt. I think you're going to go with the same thing. I thought about DeAndre Jordan a lot over the last couple of days, more more than I probably should. But My I just... apologies. <laughs> <laughs> My apologies. Well, I shouldn't have put out that tweet because I know Nick had to look at it too. Yeah, I was just like – Oh, man. And it's just like, I don't even know what he can do right now. And I mentioned this, I think, on the preview of the Boston series. Like, we don't even know what DeAndre playoff DeAndre Jordan even looks like at this point. He's never played a postseason minute for the Nets. And, like, can he provide any type of intensity? I'm not really sure. And in Matt's video he had on YouTube, I thought this was a great point. This stuck out to me with the eye test when I watched those games is DeAndre's closeout on Giannis was absolutely terrible, where Blake's at least had some type of impact on Giannis. And if DeAndre can't even give you a closeout when he's playing and drop coverage— I'm not really sure what he's doing out there. And like, yeah, maybe he could help on the boards, but we've seen him be absolutely terrible where this guy is not even jumping, not boxing out, not really doing what he needs to do. And then we've also seen him drop a ton of passes onto the rim that are easy dunks. So it's just like, I'm not sure if DeAndre Jordan is really the option and how much he truly could help you because then it leads you to the point of, you know, it's easy to keep Brook Lopez on the floor, easy to keep those big guys. And now it's just like, all right, there's no lane for Kevin Durant, Kyrie or James Harden to get into. Yeah, a lot has changed since that January game where, you know, what was it, 0.72 points per possession when he was guarding 
No, yeah. Giannis. Giannis is a different player, and we sort of made that point uh, a plenty in terms of his role and his ability to, you know, make screens and get different sort of matchups. The video that I put out that was from <clears throat> from Steve Jones Jr., where it's just like you got a Middleton Giannis pick and roll, and the this Gian, oh, KD obviously you know rolls with with, with Giannis, and Yondo just stays back in his own like any mini individual job, and it's just like Middleton's like one of the best three point shooters in the league, one of the most efficient shooters we've seen in the past three seasons. Why are you giving him that? So I think that. That it's good to have I don't know if it's an ace up of your sleeve but maybe it's like a six or something um, it's good <laughs> it's to have something option. yeah it's an option but I don't know how great it is but you know if everything falls apart you know Blake gets relentlessly attacked in switches like happening against Boston times five Clax gets bullied like it's no one else's business then we might have to it's going to be like you know break glass in, in case of an emergency and it's probably going to have to be that if we are going to see DJ but there are things he does well. And there's a part of me that, you know, I'm going to try and be a bit more optimistic about this Brooklyn Nets team that I have been in the past and on the Brooklyn Buzz. DJ in a limited role. Yeah, like I think that he's might be the best vertical. We sort of talked about, you know, pick and roll threat and, and vertical spacing. DJ might be that. If you align his minutes with James Harden in the second unit, you know, James Harden is one of the best lob passes that we've ever seen. And he hasn't been able to throw many of them. You know, Clax has been out there for like 12 minutes a game. So maybe. But again, this is me looking at, you know, glass, not half full, but like three quarters and like overflowing with water. So there's a part of me that thinks it, it, it could have an effect on the series. But I think that if the Nets are, you know, turning to that, then things are going, I guess, pretty wrong in, in a lot of other respects. Yeah, I mean, I would think that if it does happen, the Bucks are dominating the paint, they're dominating the boards, and they just need to have another bo- a big body inside to provide some type of physicality. Matt, what do you think the center minute allocation is going to look like? Oh, do you want to assume Jeff Green is healthy? <laughs> assume he's not healthy? We could do a Jeff Green healthy and then a Jeff Green not healthy one. Yeah, uh, let's do let's let's assume Jeff's healthy for um, for making this easier on me. Uh, boy, so I'm working on something right now trying to look at um how many minutes each team or how much uh each guy played so if you don't mind i'm gonna pull that up i they had blake play what 21 is that what i have 20 minutes per game i think that's probably reasonable i would assume i mean do we think that clax is gonna play over 12 minutes in this series like he has to because especially with jeff green out and with bruce brown's effectiveness as a five being incredibly limited against a team that has so much athleticism so much physicality and bruce has those things but he's like he's my height he's not the height of you know brooke lopez middleton yas and these sort of dudes so i think that you have to give maybe an extra you know bruce was playing like 23 24 minutes maybe give five of those minutes to clack so he's playing 17 18 20 minutes and bruce gets his role somewhat sort of downgraded to an extent and you know with jeff i think it makes a lot easier but it's it's a lot harder to to think about as well yeah honestly it's one of the hardest things to predict because i just don't know how much steve nash trusts nick claxton like obviously the trust wasn't super high and i thought maybe for good reason in some of the games but later on in the series i felt like he deserved more minutes he provided some type of pop with his defensive energy and like we talked about earlier like he needs to develop so i would hope it's over 15 minutes but part of me feels like it's not gonna be and it feels like we're gonna see blake for around that 20 and then we're gonna see probably some KD center minutes i'm assuming that's just what it feels like based off of lap series if it was me personally, I'd probably up clacks to at least 20 and then try to maybe mix in some KD center minutes if I have to. But ideally, we are hoping Jeff Green is healthy in this situation. and He can take a good chunk of them. 
Yeah, I thought last series was the Clack series. Like, that's my yeah. big thing that I was surprised about. You know, I'm looking at all the matchups before the playoffs start, and I'm like, okay, if they play, like, Boston and I don't remember who else I outlined. Maybe Miami, maybe? I don't know. Uh, I was just sort of looking at possible teams. And I said, okay, I feel like if they play the Celtics, that's going to yep. be a team where he's going to play a lot because they're smaller. He doesn't have to worry about, like, banging with guys as much. And it was it just was weird, and so maybe I should go back to my answer about the coaching thing, and I should maybe I guess this is I guess I am pretty upset with coaching stuff about something. So yeah, this is the food I think they left on the table big time. Um, so I think with that in mind, you're probably I agree the the KD at the five minutes are going to go up. You hopefully try to see what you can get from Jeff Green, and then from there it just sort of becomes, do you? Do you throw out DeAndre Jordan as the, the season goes or the series goes farther? I think there's going to be a game where they're going to lose because of size. I just think that it's going yeah. to happen. It just doesn't seem realistic to me that they can, you know, that they can just sort of get over the hump every single game just based on pure star power. I just I don't see it. It's not like the Celtics team where if they have a bad game, you know, the Celtics aren't really making up anything in the margins. The the Bucks are going to do that. So. It'll be really interesting to see if the coaching staff, you know, either overreacts or reacts properly and throws DeAndre in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think probably 2012, let's say Jeff Green, I mean, it's hard. I don't know when he's going to come back. So yeah. we want to say 15. I'm really bad at doing minutes, by the way. I think I was <laughs> yeah. too many. <laughs> so if this is totally wrong and I did my math wrong, my bad. Doing... Five. Get him at the five. He's strong. He's going to play him down low. He's room protection. I don't know. I mean, he did get some possessions on Tristan Thompson during that series defensively. I thought he did a really good job, but it's, the Bucks are a different animal. <laughs> there was a million people sort of like losing their minds over the stat that when like James Harden was the, the isolation defender, it was like 34.5% from the field. It's just like more than like two possessions or something. <laughs> I, I, that stat is such a narrative stat. I didn't want to say anything when I saw it on Twitter. I'm like, oh my God, we do this every time. Defensive field goal percentage, man. It's it, it, it's the, it goes everywhere. It goes viral every time somebody tweets it too. It's like, did you guys see that Jeff Teague is leading the league in defensive field goal percentage? I'm like, all right. Like, <laughs> that is for Brook Lopez, for Rudy Gobert, for yeah. Nicholas Claxton, maybe even for Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant has isolation and he has defensive possessions where he's playing at the five. But yeah. when it, it's it's a player and it's a guard and it's just it's just it's dumb. It's a dumb stat. I think that people need to have a bit of more cojones about them, a bit of more awareness about yeah. them. I don't know. What do you guys think will be, what are we thinking rotation-wise? Are we going to see eight, nine, ten? And what do you think? Obviously, we have our top five. We're all, Jack, you're agreeing the starting lineup will probably stay the same. Yep. What do you guys think will be the other three, four, or five guys that we see in this series? Wow. Isn't that a loaded question? Okay, let me start <laughs> with this. I'm going to filibuster. I thought it was really interesting Tyler Johnson was, what, he was the first guy at the bench toward the yeah. end of the series. Yeah. Kind of interesting. Kind of, I just, I thought it was interesting and nobody Especially else. Especially when he didn't get minutes at the end of the regular season or Mike James was taking his minutes. That's who I, I was mind blown when Mike James was getting his minutes. Cause I was Mike like, yeah. James, alert. here we go. Nick's back on it. <laughs> I got in a lot, like a lot of people were upset that I was complaining about this, but like, yo, Tyler Johnson was actually had a chance to see postseason minutes. No disrespect to Mike James. If he's on the floor, it means that one of the teams is up by 20 or down by 20 yes. or whatever it is. Like he's not going to play when you have Kyrie James Harden and Kevin Durant. Yeah, no, he's uh, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna save it on Mike James. I'm, I've gotten in too much trouble with Mike James. Um, yeah, I I thought it was interesting though. Like he's the first guy off the bench, and like I really thought about it. 
It actually makes a ton of sense. I don't know who I trust more right now out of any of their bench guys. We can be honest. Like Landry Shamit has been a little underwhelming, I think, yeah. so far. And and like I, he's a young guy, and he goes through swings, and he's going to be, and that's going to happen as as, as a younger shooter. It's going to happen. He's going to go through stretches where he looks great. The playoffs. I mean, this is his third playoffs, but he's still a younger player adjusting to this. And his role was like a mess last year for the Clippers. Yeah. So, um, so I, I, I think that right now you just sort of know what you're going to get from Tyler, not to mention Tyler presses full court. Yep. He does all the little things and those things add up, you know, Landry's in the right spot a lot defensively. I think he's a good team defender. I, I think they need more than that right now. Yep. I, and honestly, like it, they just need more to get more than that than just somebody who's like in the right places. So, yeah, I think that makes sense. I actually don't know if Landry Shamit's going to be in the rotation in in this next round. Um, and that means your bench is going to be Tyler Johnson, probably Bruce Brown, potentially Clax. Claxton, yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, there's not a lot of shooting with this group. So yeah. then it becomes a question of like, okay, are you going to be pairing – one of the stars with Harden if he's running it with the bench unit. I mean, losing Jeff Green's a big deal, not because of well, because he's awesome and fun to watch and does a lot of things, but the shooting is like really huge. Yep. Um, because it just upshifts the entire rotation that in a way that doesn't really benefit the Nets, especially with Blake Griffin taking what like two threes so far. Yeah. Like it's 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 something to watch. A hundred percent. Yeah, five-out five basketball is what the, the Nets want to play, but they're generally only going to be able to do four-out. And I think that the the answer to sort of Matt's question about, you know, how do you increase the spacing with that second unit, I think you align Joe Harris and James Harden. I yep. think that their chemistry has been phenomenal. I've absolutely loved it. They just have an innate understanding of each other. You know, they screen for each other. It's just, it's a joy to watch. And I think that... I'm probably more confident in Tyler Johnson's three-point shot than a lot of other people. just seems to me that he makes the right ones. There's times where it's just like he'll have tough threes to make and he hits them. And it's just like an important part of the game when the team needs a little momentum. He did that in important games. You know, he was a big part of like, you know, that Phoenix Suns game. I think that I'm, I'm really enjoying Tyler Johnson, the Tyler Johnson experience. TJ has been, been awesome. And so, yeah, I, I think that it's going to, and I, I would always align Clax's minutes offensively with James Harden. Just, just yes. you have to. And there were yeah. just times where in the last series as well where I don't think Steve Nash did a good enough job of that as well. Like, KD's a better passer than Kai and a better lob passer as well. The the couple lobs that he did get when he was on the, the, the floor with um, both of those two superstars were from KD. So I think that James Harden and, and Clax and, and Joe and, and, and probably you know, Tyler Johnson and, and whoever else, uh, Bruce Brown maybe, is, is the best facsimile of, of the second unit. And, you know, you sprinkle in, you know, this, the Harden and, I'm sorry, Kyrie and KD were playing a lot with their second unit in that sort of first round, which I didn't mind either, but I don't think it necessarily is going to mesh as well um, going forward. But I think that there's at least some wiggle room in terms of the, the lineups to be thrown out there. And like you mentioned, you know, having just Jeff Green semi-healthy gives you a ninth body that you can rely on. Like, you know what you're going to get out of Bruce. You know what you're going to get out of Tyler Johnson. You know what you're going to get out of um, Nicholas Claxton. You don't necessarily know that from Landry Shammer yet. And I think that his bench role, I don't think necessarily suits him because he, he's a rhythm player. I think coming off the bench, it's really hard to establish rhythm. Um, and, you know, he's shown some some little things here and there. But, you know, we might see him out there in stretches where, you know, if he's guarding Bryn Forbes, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. It's just going to be Bryn Forbes has been... Pfft, 
he's turned into Joe Harris uh, in the Miami <laughs> Heat series. But I don't, I don't necessarily see that continuing. I think that the Nets will be able to uh, nullify his presence. So it'll be interesting to sort of see because, you know, the the Bucks. I don't necessarily trust the, the depth in their rotation either. Like, you know, what Bobby Portis is going to destroy you. I think PJ Tucker coming off the bench and some of these other guys will be okay. But, you know, it's like the we could say the, the exact same things we've been saying about Jeff Green with Dante DiVincenzo and, and, and his impact for the Bucks. Yeah, I think DiVincenzo missing this. He did a nice job kind of chasing Joe Harris around screens in some of those matchups, and obviously he's not going to be in here, so that's something to keep an eye on. But getting back to Landry Shamit, Tyler Johnson, I think you let Shamit get a run maybe in game one and see if he looks a little bit better offensively, looks more confident. You can typically tell when you watch him play for like two minutes or take one shot if he's off or on. But like yep. you said, Tyler Johnson has kind of given us a better idea of who he is consistently. And he provides, I think, more of the things that you're missing when you have the big three out there. You know what I mean? Like he's one of those like gritty hustle players. And like you don't want Kevin Durant, James Harden, Kyrie Irving diving for every loose ball. Like Tyler Johnson, that's part of his role. And he understands that Landry Shamit doesn't necessarily have the full dirty work in his game. So I agree. I feel better with probably Tyler Johnson getting some of those minutes. And the Jeff Green point, just getting back to it, like even if he's not he like fully healthy, if he can still play minutes and get on the floor and provide that spacing and just pulling the five out, that's going to be immense for the offensive efficiency. So that's just – I'm really intrigued with Jeff Green. We talked about the injury a little bit before, and it just seems like something that's going to be really unpredictable. I have a question for you guys. Um, <laughs> what – did the Nets learn about themselves last round, if anything? That, Jack, that, this is all you because you asked me this question on the, the Game 5 recap and you said you were saving it for the preview. So Yeah, so look, I think one thing we learned, Matt, is that team rebounding is so goddamn important for this team. I wanted to, I've been waiting to like bring up this point because it's been... <laughs> okay. you know, we talked a little bit about the rebounding, but I think that it's almost like skip finesse versus physicality. It's a, it's a battle of styles and identities. And the Nets only grabbed 64.5% of defensive rebounds, which is the third lowest in a series in the last five years. Whereas after Boston, Milwaukee was the best team on the offensive board. So we talk about this little stat, this little thing that matters, maybe not so much to, to people that don't watch the game or whatever, but the rebounding is going to be huge. And oh. I thought that, Harden was awesome with his rebounding. KD was awesome with his rebounding. Even Kai. Kai has been really fighting on the boards, but it's going to be a different sort of beast battling down low against Giannis, battling down low against you know, even a Drew Holiday and, and PJ Tucker. So I think that's one thing. We, we learned that the Nets are an offensive, you know, just absolute masterclass and cheat code. But is that going to be enough against a team that has a, a lot of, I guess, cheat code answers and, and, and the manual to sort of maybe nullify some of those cheats? Um I need to stop saying cheat. Uh, but in all honesty, <laughs> we, we sort of learned that we know what the Nets are. And even without the five-level, five-out spacing, they're still going to be the best offense ever in the playoffs. So I think that they're still going to be, they're going to they're be what they are. And there's still a, a lot of question marks about them defensively. Um, so I don't think we necessarily learned anything new. Or, but I do think that we learned levels of importance and things that are important that we know okay there might need to be a, a few little you know remedies here a few little a little bit of tape watched here on switches a little bit of tape watched here on on boxing out you know and then that's one thing that i think correlates to each other the switching defense uh, leaves you open on, yeah. on the boards you know when you you switch out and you get blake's out on the blake out on the perimeter tristan's going to run in and, and and fly for an offensive board and rob williams is going to do the same thing you know, is Bobby Porter going to do those sort of things? Is Brook Lopez going to do those sort of things? Giannis, obviously. 
So I think that there's little things that we we learned that we already know, but I think we yeah. can probably go, okay, we can still apply these things to a team that is much more talented, much more defensively sound, uh, and it's just better all around. Yeah, I think in one of the last two matches between the Bucks and Nets, Dante DiVincenzo got two offensive rebounds in like the last five minutes of the game, and that was the difference. That literally was the difference. And just watching the Heat and Bucks series, there was possessions or I guess multiple possessions in a row where it was so depleting for the Heat because they would play great defense for literally two or three you know, possessions, I guess, or shot clocks or whatever you want to call it. And then the Bucks would end up getting like their th- third offensive rebound in a row and then still get two points. And I think that's what really makes it tough is like you can play good defense, but if you're not getting the defensive board, that's going to be a real issue. And like, I think we learned some things about the Nets in the last round, but always part of me is still questioning the intensity of the team, just given how much they knew they were favorites over the Celtics. Like how much better can the Nets be themselves? I think there's more, maybe we learn some more questions. How are the Nets going to answer those questions the next round is where I'm looking at. And like the rebounding, the consistent defense, just some of those small details. Is that something they can correct? Is that an issue that they're going to constantly have? Is that kind of just, you know, we're going against the Bucks. We know we need to make these plays. Like Kevin Durant's talked about that type of stuff. So it's like hard for me to take a lot from, honestly, either series Nets versus Celtics or Bucks versus Heat because specifically just the talent gap in both series was pretty substantial. That's it. Matt, what are you thinking? What did you learn? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> this guy watching more tapes than all of us combined. I don't know. know. I, I feel like I've learned everything and nothing. Yeah. I It's so weird. Like, I just, I feel like there's times where I'm like, I feel like I, I should be coming away with bigger takeaways. I think the biggest thing is that they kind of are at the infancy of where yep. of where a team is like and that's and that feels like a massive slight and like they're that good of a team that it doesn't matter but like all the things that we just talked about rotations like oh you don't really know which guys are good together yet um that's like what an early team is right you know it's like, and, like and two weeks into the season <laughs> it really is yeah. and it's like they've kind of suffered with the same things all year um, they'll play good defense for the first part of an action, and then uh, somebody will get a, a, a whatever a drive, and then it they kick, and that's it. Like the possession is screwed, and thank goodness the Celtics didn't have any like shooters that are really going to punish them. Uh, but that's kind of where we're at. Like I, I, it feels weird. We've done this whole season, seventy-two games, a million different players, and I'm kind of at the same point that I was at the beginning of the year. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a really good team in terms of offense. But the little details, we're still not all the way there. And I still don't all the way feel like, you know, we know who fits with who and whatnot. And it it kind of scares me and excites me at the same time for the Nets because it's like, can they like turn this around so quick and like take that next step and be just like this incredible team? It really intrigues me for year two of this squad. Obviously, that's not what we're talking about today. But a a training camp, this full postseason, what we can see next season, especially with maybe even adding more ring chasers, going to be incredible. But yeah, I I, want to just like finish off. The Nets will be an anomaly if they find success in the postseason because as Matt was (laughs) alluding to, what, 12 games with your three best players. You know, before the players even started, we heard Steve Nash saying, yeah, we don't even know what Clax looks like with half of these guys. We don't know what our best lineups look yeah. like. That's, like, insane to say that, like, you know, and it's going to be just a narrative that's, and I've said this, you know, even at the start of the year, where it's just like, 
good offense beats good defense. If the Nets win this, it's going to change the trajectory of like what we see as a successful basketball team. Because it's just like, well, their defense is kind of crappy. They've barely played together. They've played like what twelve games together with their their best players. So I think that the it, it, they're such a fascinating team, and uh, I think that the the unanswerable is what makes them uh, so intriguing as well. Yeah, 100%. And guys, before we get out of here, we got to hit X Factor and prediction. Give me mm. one X Factor for the series. What's the? It could be a player. It could be a Ooh. stat. It could be anything. One thing that you think is going to really dictate the series. It doesn't have to be the end-all, be-all. Obviously, we could say health for every team, so I'm excluding that. But yeah. what is it for you, Matt? Kyrie Irving. I got Kyrie. Um, I just... I mean, or or James. <laughs> it depends on who's who, who Drew is guarding. But I, I think Kyrie is... You know, this is a series where if he just adds those extra, he's just the cherry on top, like for this Nets yeah. team. And so many cherries. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's so many. Like it's, I, and it's, it feels weird to call like a superstar player an X factor, but he really is. Like yep. if he's not good in this series, which we've seen no evidence that he's ever going to be bad at basketball this year, like it's just not going to happen. <laughs> if he's not good, that's a huge, huge swing for, for uh for Milwaukee if he's great then I to the margins are really thin they're really thin yep. for for Milwaukee and you just got to make up ground in every way possible I mean they have to be like on a rebounding crusade for the ages like they got to be nailing the small details so I I'm gonna go with Kyrie Irving um I Brooke Lopez is my second pick I think he's really interesting too love Brooke we love Brooke but we don't love him in this series that's the only series <laughs> I don't love Brooke Lopez in um, I'm putting my first, Brooke jersey in a shoebox <laughs> yeah first ever first ever Nets jersey that I bought actually before Jeremy Lin oh. um, but in, in all it, I'll go I guess a, a different sort of tack I'm going to go Nicholas Claxton just because I think that defensively he can be the, the most important player on the floor and can change the trajectory of a game and I think that what he's shown what he showed us a little bit on the boards and the aggression. And if he has that mentality and he has that execution, I think that he can change little things there. Get extra possessions for, for like James Harden and Joe and, and get, you know, kick out plays. You know, part, he's passing off the short roll and decision making of the short roll needs to get a little bit better. You know, it's sort of just like, you know, Jared, we're sort of seeing like a, a facsimile of Jared Allen in his first couple of seasons. And then the decision making that he sort of made towards his, the end of his book on that tenure was just like night and day. But I'm, I'm going to go with Clack City because, you know, I'm the president, co-founder, <laughs> whatever you want to call about it. But Clack City is booming and I hope it's booming against the Bucks. Yeah, that's a great pick. Obviously, Clax, Kyrie. Uh, I'm torn. I either want to go with rebounding here or I want to go with three-point mm. shooting. And what we saw from the Nets, obviously, it, we talked about the offense and how great it was. They shot 42% from three in the first round. The Bucks shot 32% from three. They're a better three-point shooting team than that. But obviously, I think math is something that you can't really change. You know what I mean? If you're making more threes, that's just going to be something. So I think you either look at the three points making up for the lack of extra possessions the Nets will get from rebounding, which the Bucks will probably get. So that's where it is. Maybe I'm even getting more towards field goal attempts because we've seen games where the Nets have shot 15 less times in one. 20 less times. Yeah, 20 oh less goodness. times in one. And against the Bucks, I just don't think that's going to fly. So you have to find a way to make up for that. Either it has to be extreme three-point shooting, which could happen because they have some of the best three-point shooters in the entire league on their team, or it has to be, we're just not going to get killed on the boards. Brooklyn's three-point volume is so weird. Yeah, they're 10th yeah. out of 16. I was looking that up. Uh, and it and... fluctuated drastically through quarters. There was quarters where they barely oh, yeah. shot any threes, and then other quarters where they shot you know double digits. 
Yeah, it doesn't make sense in a lot of ways. You like look at this whole team, and it's like okay, three stars, and then just only guys that shoot threes. I mean, part of that's I mean, Jeff Green is like a, yep. a big factor in that, but it's not the difference between spot whatever, you know, yep, spot yep. ten and spot one. Like that is that's an interesting thing. I mean, that really could be what it comes down to. Um, it's weird. Both of these teams kind of remind me of the Rockets. This is a weird compliment. <laughs> I'm gonna make this really quick. Uh, they this year's Nets remind me a lot of last year's Rockets because they can't rebound. Uh, this year's Bucks team reminds me of the Rockets team that played the Warriors in the year that they took them to seven. It's a weird thing where it's like they're just playing the math of the threes. Yeah, it really is something. But I guess, guys, before we get out of here, prediction for the series. Whew, I got Nets at seven. Um, I feel terrible about it. I just am never, ever going to feel good about predicting on this series. But I'm sticking with Nets at seven. If it's like Nets in five, I also wouldn't be surprised. Like maybe that offensive rating is just telling us like stop being stupid and just like look at this number. This is an, a historical number. Focus on it. It matters. But I'm going to go Nets in seven. And it scares the hell out uh, of me. I'm going to go Nets in seven as well. <laughs> Giving um, your jinxes all year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, hopefully the Australian, you know, voodoo antidote is going to be the, you know, if I say Nets in seven, it sort of cancels it out. But I'll go Nets in seven as well. I think that home court advantage might matter, and, and it could matter. I think that getting that second seed is a good thing, or else, you know, the Bucks are going to have to win in six, I think, honestly, because I think that the Barclays Center has been absolutely rocking despite, you know, TNT's audio levels uh, on certain, <laughs> certain matchups. So uh, I'm going to go Nets in seven. I'm going to go Nets in six. I don't think I can handle a Nets in seven. So I, I think that I'm going to go Nets in six. I think some of the statistics are just like Matt kind of mentioned are leading towards the Nets. I think there's some things in the series. And ultimately, I think Jeff Green will end up being able to play. And, you know, I just seven games really scares me. And I just think six is a real possibility. <laughs> because also, like Matt said, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a shorter series. And I've heard people bring up the point of like, they wouldn't be surprised if multiple games are blowouts just because yeah, you know, one team that. is just going to the other end of the spectrum and the other one just doesn't have it that certain night. So I'm really intrigued. I hope we're all right in the Nets win. That's all I really care about. <laughs> but, uh, any final thoughts, guys, before we get out of here? If Milwaukee has to win games, they have to put up big leads early because they're not winning a close game fight out. Uh, and I think that's probably why you see the blowouts idea. So that, I like that idea a lot. Yep, Nets are going to – Nets world, Nets level, whatever Nets hashtag you want to put in there. Uh, Clack City, just throw all the hashtags in there. Go Nets. We need all the energy from the Nets fans for this one. But, uh, Matt, appreciate you hopping on. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And catch the buzz on all streaming platforms. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time.